Listening to us live anywhere in the world, but only by downloading our app right now at KBLA 1580. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of our program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast and listen at your leisure. Should you miss us any day in real time, but I am delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. And let me invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour, a conversation with Donna Bryson about a powerful piece she wrote for Reuters entitled All We Are is a memory. All we are is a memory. Don't want to say too much and spoil it for you, so I'll let Donna unpack that for you in hour two. Donna's also the co-author of a provocative piece accompanied by an arresting chart you've no doubt seen floating all over social media. It's that chart that shows that many of America's political elite descend from ancestors who were enslavers. The photos are arresting of all these political elite even today who, uh, whose ancestors were in slavery's provocative chart, provocative piece. Donna co-authored that as well. So it should be a rich dialogue in our two uh, with Donna Bryson. In our third hour. I'm Marianne Williamson. And when I was growing up, America had a vibrant middle class. The average American worker had decent benefits, could afford a home, could afford a car, could afford a yearly vacation, could afford for one member of the couple to stay home if they wished, and could afford to send their kids to college. But over the last 50 years, there's been a massive transfer of wealth to the tune of $50 trillion from the bottom 90% of Americans to the top 1%, decimating America's middle class. We all owe President Biden a debt of gratitude for defeating President Trump in 2020. But with the things that they're going to be throwing at us in 2024, we need to submit to the American people an agenda of fundamental economic reform, universal health care, tuition-free colleges at state colleges and universities, higher education, including tech schools, paternity and maternity leave, free child care, and a guaranteed living wage. These are things that are considered moderate positions in every other advanced democracy. But in the United States, people have been trained to expect too little. The American people have been played. What the Democratic Party should do is to truly return to the principles of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Not just alleviate people's suffering, but offer them genuine economic reform. Not just help people survive in an unjust system. The Democratic Party should end an unjust system. Washington, D.C., with a few brave exceptions, is filled with two major categories of leaders, those who don't even care about all the suffering that's going on out there and those who do not have the moral courage to fix it. Let me in there. I will. I'm Marianne Williamson, and I approve this message. Democratic presidential candidate Marianne Williamson joins us live in studio in our three today. So if you've never checked us out live on YouTube or on our app uh, or by tapping on our KBLA TV icon, today might be a good day to do that. In our third hour, Marianne Williamson joins us live in studio. She's one of a few people challenging the president uh, from his left. Um, of course, Marianne's in the race. Uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. is in the race. Uh, running as uh, Democrats, uh, Cornell West on this program not long ago, running, of course, as the 
uh, candidate for the Green Party. So a few people already in the race running uh, against Joe Biden from his left. But Marianne joins us live in the studio today in our third hour. In this first hour today, two more conversations on the B side of this hour. They say black don't crack. But we'll talk with Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali about a deeply troubling new study which suggests that black folk age faster. We're aging faster than the good white folk due to structural factors, including environmental racism, poverty and exposure to pollution. It's an arresting uh, uh, set of data points about how black folk are aging faster than white folk due to these structural factors. We'll get to that at the bottom of this hour. In a moment, we'll commence today uh, a conversation uh, in dialogue with HuffPost, HuffPost journalist, that is Paul Blumenthal, about the pending new indictment against Donald Trump. We did a town hall last night with Sean Hannity on Fox News just hours after uh, he announced to the nation that he received a letter saying he's about to be, uh, he is the subject of another uh, investigation. And so we expect indictment number three to drop against Donald Trump just moments from now, days, hours from now. We'll start a conversation about that with Paul Blumenthal of HuffPost when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Paul Blumenthal, there's so much uh, Donald Trump news I can't even keep up. So let me uh, say this first before we get into uh, all the other uh, Donald Trump drama. A federal judge in New York uh, this morning denied uh, uh, Donald Trump's request for a new trial in the defamation and battery case brought by E. Jean Carroll that resulted in his owing her a $5 million damage award. He sought a new trial in New York. Uh, but uh, again, the judge denied his request for a new trial today uh, uh, in New York. So there's news on that. Now, uh, last night, Donald Trump uh, appeared in a Fox News town hall uh, in Iowa. And before we get to uh, this uh, latest news about this uh, next indictment, Paul Blumenthal, what did you make of the uh, town hall last night? Well, it's just, um, you know, Donald Trump is still the same character that he has always been and hasn't given up any of his grievances. Um, you know, his campaign still seems to be centered on saying that he won the 2020 election, uh, that, you know, these indictments against him are really attacks against his supporters. Um, and, you know, he spent some time praising Chinese uh, Chairman Xi, as, you know, a great authoritarian leader, which, you know, he, Trump, aspires to be like. He said, uh, you know, nobody nobody out there is like this guy. He's got total control over 1.4 billion people. How great. <laughs> yeah. Um, to your first point, and there are a number of takeaways from last night, uh, he referred to these investigations as election interference by Democrats. Um, said he was bothered, that's his word, bothered by the accusations because of how it affects his supporters. I quote from Donald Trump, I guess they want to try and demean and diminish and frighten people, but they don't frighten us because we are going to make America great again. Um, that a quote uh, from Donald Trump last night. Um, what do you make of the fact, Paul, to your to your, to your your point, uh, and it's obviously right, right on point, that he continues to express these grievances, uh, and every time he expresses his grievances with this process, uh, those grievances seem uh, to resonate with his core. Well, yeah, I mean, he still speaks to the core of the Republican primary electorate, their base. Uh, you know, he still 
leads pretty strongly in the polls, hovering between 40 and 50 percent in the national GOP primary polls. Uh, his closest competitor, Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, has fallen back, sometimes under 20 percent, getting closer to 10 percent. So he doesn't seem like he has much opposition at this point. Uh, will that change with, with a third indictment on the issue of January 6th? Uh, I, I don't know. That's That's a question. This is a much bigger indictment than the previous two, which were over, you know, financial irregularities in his business and the documents that he took from the White House after leaving the presidency. Yep. Trump said last night, um, and I quote again, whether it's the borders or the elections or kinds of things like this, where the DOJ, Department of Justice, has become a weapon for the Democrats, an absolute weapon, uh, close quote. What do you make of his strategy and how that strategy is playing or will play of making the Department of Justice the enemy. And I, I ask that because I was just discussing this, I guess, last week. Um, it's fascinating to, to see, Paul, how the Republicans have done a 180. Um, for as long as I can recall, and, and before that, <laughs> uh, they were always, uh-huh. they, they're, the, they're the friends, the party of law enforcement, as it will. Uh, they couldn't, they couldn't uh-huh. hug the Department of Justice, the FBI, the CIA. Uh, they couldn't hug them any tighter. Uh, this is the, 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 these are their people, um, the, these law enforcement types. And, and now you see Republicans in Congress holding hearings. They went in last week on Christopher Wray, uh, of course, as you know, appointed by Donald Trump. He's still around mm-hmm. uh, as the FBI director. But they went in on Wray. They went, went, on, went in on the department. And, and Donald Trump continues to advance this notion that the Department of Justice, that the FBI, that they are the enemy. What do you think of that strategically and the way it's working and playing, not just with his base, but in this, in this, in this instance, with Republicans writ large, it seems? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, you, you noticed, noted that uh, historically it's a it's an odd thing to say that the Department of Justice and the FBI are anti-conservative, considering mm-hmm. there's never there's only ever been a Republican head of the FBI. The FBI had and the Department of Justice have targeted left wing radicals groups in the past, you know, civil rights organizations, mm-hmm. uh, wiretap Martin Luther King, as we all know, um, you know, so the the history there sort of points in the other direction. As a political strategy, I, I guess it connects to the larger grievance culture that has gripped the conservative movement and the Republican uh, Party under Trump, where he says, you know, elect me, I will be your retribution. That, you know, all of the things that bother him, all of the people targeting him are really about whatever little grievance the voters might have against people who aren't like them or reasons why they aren't doing well in their life. And he will set it straight by um, fighting the people who he hates. Mm-hmm. Um, he said something else last night, Paul, that, that got my attention. I've seen um, some references to it this morning in the media, but nobody's really got to unpack this the way it hit me last night. Uh, and let me quote again from former President Donald Trump in this Fox News town hall last night. Quote, they were trying to take me out. Yeah, they were trying to take me out. I mean, it was like a coup. It was like a coup, close quote. Uh, when you have a former president using the language of coup, coup d'etat, um, that that jumped at me because um, he continues to, to send these signals uh, to his core following. But for a former U.S. president to suggest that what happened to him was a coup d'etat, um, that was 
I'm trying to find the right word. It was arresting for me to hear your take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, used this language all along saying that, you know, the, the deep state is out to get him. He was set up for the first impeachment, the call with the Ukrainian president Zelensky. Um, you know, he's in, you know, made accusations that, uh, the attack in, on January 6th itself was perpetrated not by his supporters. Uh, and, and, of course, it's ironic as well that he is alleging a coup when he actually did try to overthrow the government on January 6th itself. So um, I, this it feels like a bit of projection to me. Mm-hmm. Um, two other things about this town audit. I'll move forward. Um, he... Uh, essentially asked for, endorsed last night, an impeachment of Joe Biden. He said that Joe Biden is a compromised president. Went on to say, hey, they impeached me over a phone call. Uh, Why aren't they impeaching Biden? Uh, Why isn't he under impeachment? Um, Your thoughts on his calling last night for the impeachment of Joe Biden? Well, you know, Republicans have been trying to do this ever since they won back the House. They've introduced I believe, articles of impeachment even before that, uh, after Joe Biden uh, took office. Um, It seems that impeachment has just become sort of another part of the political game, whether it's, you know, something real like trying to blackmail a foreign leader into putting out dirt or fake dirt on your political opponent, uh, which seems like a fairly impeachable offense or attempting to overthrow the elected government and toss aside the U.S. Constitution, which also seems very much like an impeachable offense. Um, So, I mean, they're just they're trying to play tit for tat, but they just don't really have there's no factual evidence to back up any of the claims that they make in favor of something to impeach Biden over. Uh, all, All of these claims have have fallen flat and failed. Yeah, I, I started our conversation, Paul Blumenthal of HuffPost, by uh, referencing the E. Jean Carroll case. A judge this morning uh, in New York threw out Donald Trump's uh, request for an appeal, uh, request for a new trial, rather, uh, in that case, uh, threw out his request for a new trial just this morning. Um, I raise again the name of E. Jean Carroll because it was on the day that the verdict, uh, that $5 million verdict that he now has to pay, uh, that penalty, um, It was the day that that verdict was released that CNN, you'll recall, featured Trump in a town hall that night. Uh, And I think CNN is still catching it. They're still getting it um, because of uh, the way they allowed that town hall to go forward. And it was essentially, you know, carte blanche for Donald Trump that night. He had his way for over an hour that night on CNN. So last night, Fox News with, with Sean Hannity does the same thing, except last night, there was one thing missing, voters. Uh, not a single voter got to question him. It was the Sean Hannity show for the entire hour. In some ways, no surprise there. But I raised that because, you know, there have been now a couple of town halls, one on the left, one on the right, CNN, Fox News. And there really isn't much difference in Donald Trump being given just, you know, just a, a blank slate, uh, you know, given just again, given carte blanche to say and do whatever he wants to say and do, not really being challenged uh, in these town halls. Um, but here again, uh, the networks are bending over backwards uh, to get Donald Trump on their air. Your thoughts about that? You're a part of the media, of course. I'm a part of the media. This is embarrassing and <laughs> shameful to me. That's my assessment. But how do you read it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the press has always had a hard time, especially the cable news and television press, because, you know, they, they want to have controversy and characters and, you know, the high level presidential candidates on TV, because that's what draws viewers in their in their mind, uh, you know, makes sense. But the problem is that, that they've always had is how to deal with Donald Trump. How do you deal with somebody who's just going to lie and make everything up as he goes along and bully you back and insult you and, um, you know, say horrible things about people who've accused him of rape, and sexual assault, some of which a jury has agreed to that he committed. Um, so it, it's a really difficult bind that it puts some of these media companies into that to the point where it's probably not worth it to uh, host him for these events, especially live, uh, where he's just going to bulldoze and lie. Um, and I mean, we saw this in the presidential debates as well, whether it was with Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden. I mean, he just bulldozed over them uh, with with lies and yelling and, and some of it, you know, maybe made him look bad and hurt him in the polls. But uh, I, I don't I don't know exactly how you approach it, because he's just going to behave in a way that no other media or political figure does. Yeah. Bind is one word. I take your point. It's another thing to me to give him these uh these platforms where he just uh, can just run amok. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, Fox News did it last night. CNN did it here to four. Uh, it is beyond troubling that we keep giving him all this kind of free press, all this kind of access. I've made the point uh, many times. Uh, uh, Bernie Sanders would love to have gotten this kind of free press uh, mm-hmm. when he ran. Uh, as I mentioned also earlier today, Marianne Will- Williamson would join us live in studio in hour three. I'm sure Marianne would love uh, this kind of uh, free press on CNN and Fox News, but Donald Trump gets it. I digress on that point. Speaking of presidential debates, the first GOP debate is scheduled for August 23rd. Trump was not asked, not asked last night by Sean Hannity if he would participate in the upcoming debates. Didn't even ask him a question about that, even though that debate is scheduled on his network, Fox News. So, again, August 23rd uh, is the date of the first scheduled uh, GOP debate on national television. All that said, let's move now to the news of the day. Um, That is some of the news of the day, but uh, the more uh, interesting and pressing news, I suspect, uh, is that Donald Trump uh, admitted yesterday uh, that he is a target in the special counsel's investigation into January 6th. He received a letter yesterday. He announced that um, on his own uh, social media platform, True Social, just prior to taking the stage in Iowa. I mean, that was actually pre-recorded in Cedars, but just prior to this thing uh, uh, airing last night um, uh, on Fox News. So all that said, Paul Blumenthal, we're, we're at indictment number three now, apparently. What, what do you make of this and what impact is it going to have, if any? I mean, we've had two indictments so far that have only solidified Trump's support in the Republican primary campaign. This is a much bigger indictment. It's an indictment, you know, related to January 6th, an effort to, uh, you know, steal an election, essentially. Um, And something that really hung as an albatross around a lot of Republican Party candidates in the 2022 midterms. Uh, You know, you, you had these number of candidates in high-profile races who embraced, you know, the stolen election lie, who embraced January 6th, essentially, and lost, whether it was Carrie Lake in Arizona, Herschel Walker in Georgia, Blake Masters in Arizona, a number of Secretary of State candidates. I mean, it really hurt a lot of these Republican Party candidates. And Donald Trump now having an indictment around January 6th, which, I mean, I guess... 
he, he did incite it, and we all watched it on TV happen. So maybe an, an indictment shouldn't add to his worries there about being, a, you know, connected to January sixth. But uh, an, an indictment, I think, adds to the political problems that he will face in a general election. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the primary election, though. Yep. What uh, to your point now? Um, I've been asking this question repeatedly, whether or not we see anything. I've asked this of all of our contributors, all of our guests. Do we see anything in the offing, anything in the future that suggests that he will not be the presumptive Republican nominee and everybody to a person says not yet uh, or no, Tavis, he's going to be the nominee. Uh, and this just it, it, I mean, I'm not naive, but it just it's just mind boggling that these indictments can keep coming. And nobody thinks it's going to stop him from being the presumptive Republican nominee. So uh, the E. Jean Carroll case, okay, maybe that wasn't the strongest case, although he lost it. We're past that now. Um, the That was the first indictment. Uh, the, 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 the second indictment. Uh, now with regard to these documents, um, I mean, the E. Jean Carroll case was not, was not one of the three. I mean, let me back up. The E. Jean Carroll case, not one of the three indictments we're talking about. But that case is now come and gone. It is what it is. You got the indictment out mm-hmm. of Manhattan by Alvin Bragg. That's the first indictment. Um, and we'll see what happens there. Many believe not the strongest case um, that uh, Alvin Bragg has. And then you go to the second indictment, which is about the documents. Uh, we shall see what, what happens in that particular case. There's still some who believe that um, he may not uh, be up against the wall as many think he is in that regard. But to your point, this third indictment is really about the overthrow of the government. And Ron DeSantis uh, is out front already, and I'm paraphrasing here uh, his quote, uh, suggesting that perhaps Mr. Trump uh, should have been more aggressive with these um, these agitators. Uh, but this has gone too far. He shouldn't be indicted. He shouldn't, you know, this this is not the way to handle this. And the Department of Justice is going too far. That's from Ron DeSantis. My sense is, Paul, that other Republican uh, candidates may echo the same thing. So you've gotten to the point now, if you don't think the first two indictments are that serious, this third one, to your point, is much more serious. And yet Republicans, given what DeSantis has already said, are taking the same tack that the DOJ is doing too much uh, with Donald Trump. How do you read that? Yeah, I mean, I guess if I were a Republican political consultant who didn't want Donald Trump to be the party's nominee, I would think that Ron DeSantis is not running to win if mm-hmm. he's not willing to attack the front runner over this. Mm-hmm. I mean, the person leading in the polls is about to be indicted for a third time, and you're his number one opponent, and you're defending him. Exactly. Um, that is not a that is not really a campaign that wants to win. Um, and you know, we've seen competitive uh, primary campaigns in both parties in yeah. you know the past fifteen years, and the candidates go after each other pretty I, hard. And yeah. I have not seen that from somebody who is you know could be defeating Trump in, in the primary. So I I just doubt the will to win is there. I'm out of time, Paul. I hate to cut you off. Um, I take your point. The will to win may not be there on the one end. The other way to read this, though, is that he does want to win. The DeSantis and others do want to win, and they know that angering that Trump loyal base ain't going to help them win. So there's another way to read it. For now, we'll leave it there. We'll come back to it later on, I am certain. Paul Blumenthal, Health Post, I thank you. Have a great rest of the day, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to have you back on. More of our program when we come forward at the news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 15.